So hi everyone, this is Godiva and Jackie and welcome back to Wulida. So today's episode is a bit um, non-traditional, should I say that? Have we been around long enough to say we had a tradition? <laughs> well, technically, yeah. I think so. I think maybe an orthodox. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, today's episode is a bit unorthodox because first of all, um, me and Jackie are looking at each other from our computer screens and we are um, recording this remotely because of course we are trying to um, be kind to ourselves but also to the different people that we work together with to bring this podcast to all of you. Um, And I think that for us coming to the decision to move to start trying to figure out this um, remote recording thing has been a decision that we have come to after some sort of consideration of our own, um, I guess, like the, the few things that we needed. What is it called? The facilitation that we needed as hosts, but also for our producers. So, Jackie, maybe tell us some of the things we have been doing before we finally get in. We did try the uh, recording when the government, like, lessened. Is that the right word? Lessened their... The, okay. Loosened the COVID restrictions around. We went to studio. Uh, we had gloves. We had the sanitizers. And those gloves are so disgusting. They turn your hands white like the powder whatever it is but anyway shout out you know shout out to the people who choose this medical profession knowing that that's a side effect but um so we we tried that um we tried social distancing we tried to because the, the space that we use is occupied by more than ours like other people also use a space so in trying to respect uh them and ourselves we tried that approach which i think Worked, but with the rising numbers uh, in Uganda, we have no option but to move to Zoom like everything else. By virtue of the fact that we are here within this pandemic recording this, uh, the way that, uh, first of all, the structure is going to happen is not the usual scripted way that we usually do our things. Like, uh, And then because... As usual, like pandemic, but pandemics are not business as usual. So we are trying to... Well, this episode is essentially unscripted. Like we have no script notes. So if we just happen to rumble, rumble, rumble with us. So we're going with the energy of this uh, pandemic. So G, what's, how are you feeling about like COVID and, and all this shit that is happening around us? First of all, I'm really feeling like um, the government of Uganda has let us down. But I think that this is something that most people in the world are feeling, yeah, because the conversation of the ways in which governments have um, moved away from treating this as basically a health crisis, right? Um, a crisis of healthcare or a crisis, I guess, of protection of people from the acquisition of, of this virus. I think that we can see in Uganda, um, we saw countries like Ghana that tried to do the China thing of building a hospital in two weeks or what, what. In Uganda, my friend, we are still here with the same hospitals we had, with the same health setups we had that still um, looked the way they did already. So I feel like the government, one, has let us down, but also that because Ugandans are receiving 
this kind of laissez-faire attitude from government you know if a government official is telling you um we've put you under curfew there's lockdown you're not allowed to be how many point a car meanwhile for them their kids are being driven around for party to party with police escort you know so of course me i wouldn't blame ugandans because this is the culture that our society has created you know this culture of impunity and if i can get away with it i will do it so i can't even say that i blame ugandans exclusively for this weird behavior which people have adopted going to bars then they lock themselves inside to pretend that they don't want meanwhile drinking nobody is distancing nobody is wearing a mask you know so for me i found that a bit worrying like even in situations where i have tried to um create some sort of protocol with my neighbors with my friends um this idea of can we all distance so that when the time comes when we are all dying for hugs we can at least hug each other you know and that's the thing is that banayu are not thinking of it I, at least some of the banayu have interacted with like people meet someone they haven't seen in six months they don't know if this person is just coming back from juba or is doing what they just follow their chest you know so for me that's the yeah. situation i've been doing and honestly i have found it a bit worrying so i'm yeah i'm i'm glad that we're having this episode just to try to ask our fellow banayu banange what happens what is happening what's not clicking you know <laughs> I was I, I saw that random uh you know how TikTok always finds its way in onto all the social media platforms that you're on and someone was singing the pandemic is still here like as in you you might be tired of the pandemic but the pandemic is not tired of you and I was like that's so like in context of just how people are tired like I remember like the beginning of uh the lockdown especially here like people were conscious about like uh well like people dying but then i think like any other situation like how we've gotten used to seven being in power i guess maybe like people have just like adjusted to the fact that this thing is here and that they're going to move on with your life with their lives which i think that i don't know like i feel like in a way it's really really like a dangerous approach but it also like says a lot about who we are as you know a country and and just like how we are willing to take things because i think for me my main source of interaction has been like my border guy and my and uh, the vegetable woman and then maybe the neighbor downstairs will just be like hello hello but even then like that's been like the realm of my interaction you know with the but like having conversations because i know like my rolex guy is someone who constantly meets people you know so i was asking him how does the how how are you protecting yourself and he was like what do you mean but i need food <laughs> like you want me to go back home and eat what like will i eat social distancing and i was like no I, i guess the element of uh class also comes in in terms of when we look at who has access to you know even just like being able to protect yourself against this disease because again i'm going to the market woman who pro- provides vegetables for me every every other week you know but she's she's actually interacting with other women and you know So I guess I don't know. So I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, what, just for me to be able to sleep uh well at night I was like, here yeah, masks quarter now quarter. <laughs> so just be like, okay, at least like I know that there's yeah, so I don't know. Like someone was someone wrote that the pandemic has been the greatest equalizer and how that narrative has like been going on and going on and I was like, uh uh-uh. if anything the pandemic has showed us how just unequal 
the society is, you know, the fact that we can be on Zoom and have and still have data money, by the way, to be able to like uh, have these conversations when other people are actually trying to just like survive and food. So I guess like in people deciding to handpick, like what's what's the lesser evil, you know, do I choose, you know, social distancing and die of hunger or malnourishment? Or do I choose to, you know, like just like go on? But I think the most annoying part is the banayu who, the middle class banayu, if there's anything like that in this context. Like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the only, the other ways where, how we, we get our happiness is through ballads. Because <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I don't understand how knowing COVID, knowing you don't know where everyone has been, you can actually, you know, consciously lock yourself, you know? And when you, the act of locking yourself is that you even, like, air circulation is not, like, on the move. So there's that. Like, you have all these things. It's, like, recipe for disaster. But you just want to have alcohol. I, I really identify with that general, I guess, confusion. Like, what can we do, for example? What do people who use taxis, even if they say you only two people allowed on, like, a seat that originally used to take or as originally meant for three people, but used to take four people previously, you know? The option of distancing does not really exist for them, except, you know, if we were in a context where the government is willing to, like, subsidize people's lives going forward. And I feel like in that case, we've really not received even any such indication from our government in the first place of things like that. And just looking at, like, from the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we women first of all were the first people to start dying in relation to mm. this pandemic right um mm. we had reports of women who failed to be able especially during the first lockdown that civil initiated where borders i think were stopping movements at two and in order to move more than one person on a, or even in order to move on a border they were not allowed to carry passengers in order to move on a border you needed a let from i think it was the lc5 you know so in need we had to, to to give birth of pregnant women who failed to get that authorization from whichever you know LC they needed to and then were disrupted by police and of course our police don't think they're just like curfew is curfew whether you are pregnant or the baby is coming out you know and so that thoughtlessness for me like and of course thinking about Wira right we are interested in the lives of women. Of course, we are going to hear the stories of the politicians, people who have been beaten by LDU, by LDU and whatever. But when we come down to like our government thinking about policy around COVID, I really think that there are certain things that should have been thought about that were not thought about and making women's lives disproportionately worse. Like you said, this thing has not equalized anybody. Yeah. You know, it has literally just just how tough the inequality is in our society. Mm. Yeah, and I, I mean, even speaking about policy, because I remember that story of the lady, the pregnant woman who had gone out to get, I think, Mujaja for her, I don't know, nausea or whatever it is, and she was, like, beaten up by uh, LDUs, and then it had to take, like, media had to report it, and then you have Museveni, who's, like, the alpha and omega of, I don't know, who had to like take initiative and be like, okay, arrest them, you know? But also the thing that for me, the thing that literally was like 
I don't know, like bulb moment of where you realize that shit is so fucked up is when the president decided to uh, compliment the picture of the market woman who was uh, sleeping in the market because she couldn't go home. Remember when the, the first lockdown, seven, was like, or oh, wherever it finds you. Yeah. And especially if you're like the essential workers, like he was like sleeping in the market. But then you have all these other things. We have like cases of rape. Yeah, we have like uh, the issue of like sanitation. What does that look like? You have you have all these things that you can account for. In fact, can you imagine like a woman sleeping in a market at night? Like already I was like, my God, I can't even move past midnight in the neighborhood that I am in. I can't imagine like trying to like already like the how you how you're risking. And then like you have a leader of a government in place who's who is praising that kind of, um, as you know, like the epitome of respecting government's approach to uh to covid and i don't know i feel like uh like policies around uh covid especially on the continent and i think internationally as well have essentially been anti-women from like the get-go and we have uh we have like there there are other mini there can i call them mini What's wait? If there's a pandemic and then there's uh before before the thing is declared a pandemic, what is it? <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> like you know how La <laughs> This is all these are side effects too, like <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> That's failed. But yeah. Um <laughs> uh, but um I was thinking about <laughs> I was thinking about how we failed to learn from other viruses that we've had. Like, because for example, Uganda has been praised as a as an African country that has managed to control very many. Like, we have we have had Zika, we've had SARS, we've had um, Ebola. So, like all these viruses that have been with us in the communities, and somehow we've been like HIV itself. Exactly, but you know, we get like especially like from i think the public health experts and what like all the reports i would read about like countries that have managed to like successfully handle these things you would think that learning from these diseases especially like i I remember like the time of ebola how everyone was freaked out like um that government would have these protocols already in place but they would also learn that in when ebola especially like learning from like the west african guys uh, in terms of just like the how women were affected separately like there was like this virus that was happening but then there are like layers to eat especially if you are a woman you know access to um contraceptives access you know like gender-based violence uh care work like all these things that are been designated as roles that women perform but then we're performing them within the context of a pandemic you know but then you have policy that is not like policy that is like anti-women because it's not addressing any of these things it's just like focused on the virus but then who takes care of someone who is sick usually like that care work whether it is like uh children whether it is taking care of like sick people at this like at the end of the day just falls on the backs of women and i think that i don't know like even institutions like you know all these like institutions that are supposed to come up with the like, policy that should be able to like world health organization you know like those i read i was reading this paper that had uh, a critique of the world health organization and how they didn't have like a, a gendered policy and approach to covid 
but also they didn't have one when Ebola was like ravaging uh, Western Africa. And you would think that these organizations at the end of the day would learn, but they still don't learn because of that. Like who are in these positions of power? Who are the people who are like implementing this policy and who are they implementing it for? Who do they have in mind when they actually like come up with these things? And most of the time it's just men. So I guess in the context of Bulira, of course, we look at everything through um, a feminist lens and I guess in a way COVID through a feminist lens and again, learning from our episode of syphilis. Like you would think, you would think we would like at least take lessons from all these things that have been happening. But yeah, I guess to leave us to do. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought up the issue of just the laxity of these international bodies, you know. Because I saw a report in one of these Uganda newspapers, I'm not sure if it was the vision or the monitor, talking about how almost 2,000, I think it was 2,000 or 3,000 girls have been defiled. Mm. Um, and I think a similar report was made in Kenya as well, right? And um, I think that when the World Bank was, sorry, when, when the World Health Organization was um, preparing guidelines, you know, preparing the world for dealing with this with this pandemic, this report, how many reports do they produce every year on gender impact of education, gender impact of this? They are 100% aware that when we tell people to shelter in place, that means that the dynamic in the home becomes relevant, you know? But the problem is that for the longest time, the realm of the home has been privatized because that is where it is considered that women and girls' issues belong. So when we suddenly have cases of girls are not going to school and therefore they are being exposed to these kinds of abuses at home on a larger scale, that defilement has skyrocketed to 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 this. And then they keep reporting it as um, underage pregnancies, child marriage increasing. And, you know, in a way that really trivializes the fact that these young girls are being subjected to extreme violence. And a lot of that is arising from the fact that they are now no longer able to access the different reasons and excuses that they previously had to remove themselves from the homes where they were previously experiencing this kind of violence. And also... Um, the issue of um, domestic violence. You know, when you talked about these women who are sleeping in the market, there are also a lot of women who um, are having to go back home to places that are not considered safe for them. And because, you know, movement is now being restricted, transportation is now being restricted, a lot of people, women, queer people, young girls, have found themselves in situations that are often considered to be, or that are often hostile for them, and they have to um, shelter in place and stay in these environments while also trying to figure out their protection. So I really think that... um, so much more, so much more could have been done um, to protect the interests of, um, and I don't like to include women in, in the mix when I talk about vulnerable people, but the truth of the matter is yeah. that the vulnerability exists. And I think yeah. earlier we were talking about the situation in South Africa, for example, where the government's approach was just infantilizing the entire population, you know, let's ban yeah. alcohol, let's ban cigarettes. So what does it mean when you say somebody like even but now you have a perfect example? People who are used to living their workplace, they go to the bar for a bit before they come home, and now suddenly that release does not exist, you know. Mm. And we know that oftentimes when men feel frustrated, that frustration is taken out um, on women and children and other powerless people around them. 
So, mm. yeah, observing this pandemic, I really think that people whom we consider to be policy makers have a lot of lessons to learn in, 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 in terms of walking the talk of the things that they claim to be able to provide to the world, you know, the guidance that they claim to be able to provide to the world. And I just wanted us to like have a deeper conversation, Jackie, about the question of um, the provision of care work and domestic labor mm. in the home. Because I think that this is going to yeah. become a thing um, mm. that um, we are going to see even in the number of deaths that get recorded from COVID. Mm. Yeah. Wow, like I was thinking about that and um, there was a, re- uh, a report, uh, especially reading a report from Oxfam and UN Women, how they were handling, like they, they did like this extensive report around like the Ebola virus and how uh, women were affected uh, differently. And one of the things that they were talking about was just uh, care work and why the numbers were, even though the numbers on paper showed more men contracting the virus, the people who were actually dying because again, they didn't, they were doing the care work, but they, they at the same time didn't have access to that, you know, the, to the health care that they, that they needed because again, they were like the people on this other side. So, um, also, no one gets abandoned faster than a sick woman. We know this. Like, I don't know. Ex- and in discussing like um like for example how for the longest time uh domestic labor within the house especially like looking at at the class aspect of it like you have women who have like domestic workers within their houses and how that treatment has been over time but you see they've at least like when the people leave and go out and go to their jobs you have like some kind of limited space to be with yourself but i can imagine like what those dynamics look like right now as everyone's like closed in and what does that look like like uh how how are they being treated differently from and we've seen people come out like publicly to i don't know people have guts i don't understand how you mistreat someone who makes your food like that's the most i'm just like <laughs> I, do, I don't get it like how is that even a thing Another thing I think is also affecting women's ability to work, and I see this Mm. just also um, working with men. Like, men have a lot of time. Every week, they're scheduling four calls. Remember, women are saying, you guys, I'm swamped, I'm swamped. Because when you come back home as a woman, every day you've been leaving and going to office, and you can tell people, I can't leave office, let me work. But now you're at home. Of course, they can see you work. But that doesn't change the roles that they expect you to play as a woman, you know. I think there was a report that was released. Um, JC, this in the Harvard Business Review. I, I don't remember the source, but I will check and then maybe we can put it in the notes. I'm talking about how the pandemic has really affected the productivity of women in academia. That men are actually writing more because they have more time to relax, to chill, you know, and they are saying that they are now forming better relationships with their children. Meanwhile, women are now carrying a baby while on Zoom while trying to make porridge, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, even not just, and of course, then there are middle class women who are lucky enough to outsource mm. this domestic labor to um, yeah. poor women. And of course, that's, that, that, that's where your point, Jackie, comes up is that now in mm. this moment of extreme stress, how are these domestic workers being protected? People are already losing jobs because of COVID. How are we protecting domestic workers who probably are working not on a contract, you know? Mm-hmm. They are just um, 
working other than when you call them to come and do something you know so and uh, oftentimes of course in such um settings women are often the breadwinners like the women who are hawkers yeah. on the street the women who are doing um domestic work those women are often the breadwinners where they come from and yet all the things that we are seeing are oh this industry has suffered covid damage businesses have <laughs> suffered covid damage but like Mm. You know, what about the people whom we don't think about as business but who actually ensure that the rest of us can be able to contribute mm. in the ways that our governments actually consider to be um important. Yeah, the other thing that um there's this paper that I was reading called uh does so there's a group called <laughs> anyway as I went down that rabbit hole of trying to get like gendered aspects to the pandemic and there's a paper called the gendered impacts of the outbreak where uh, researchers from a gender and covid uh, working group like there's like feminist women who have just come together and creating like resources but also like doing the actual research and they were drawing just like parallels between west african countries and their failures to address like the ebola's ebola's gendered impact and then they were predicting that that's the same thing that is going to happen but the other thing that i found was interesting is that they looked at uh, gendered norm gendered norms you know like gender norms and how that meant that um women were more likely were less likely than men to actually have power in decision making around the outbreak and and you know and their needs would be largely unmet and just like those like the little things not, not that they're little things but like how we have like layers and layers to a pandemic more likely to be exposed yeah yeah so and then like just looking at how like the power dynamics exact and and i think that that also for me comes down to um the the the, the point that we talked about uh, in terms of contraceptives so uh the there's a very report by the international planned parenthood federation during that the first phase of the lockdown and they were looking at Africa the continent and then they were looking at uh their largest number of mobile clinics and like the according to the survey they essentially closed down a total of 447 and look the affected countries again were Sudan, Uganda, Ghana, Zimbabwe and they had over like 100 closures like of clinics or and clinics even clinics within the community that were closed and then like all these things that were happening like i remember a report from kenya on on mari stops that was saying that uh they instead went to like they took because they had closed their clinic the the clinic they uh tried to get their clients on whatsapp like to ask like yo how are you guys are you getting like your daily contraceptives what does that look like and um i remember reading a report from the nation media that said that the, they had over 300 whatsapps within like a day of just like young women um you know asking for like you know like we need contraceptives but again like looking at how these things are happening with happening within our sex education framework in many east african countries that again is like rigged with this whole like um social conservatism that is just like solely based in religious values you know that primarily you know for whose foundation is abstinence But then what happens when this is not happening like when people are not abstaining that means like we again see the reports of like spike in teenage pregnancies spike in cuz if you if if you're already affected by power like 
just your decision around like your reproductive organs like for example like and then you have like a pandemic that is happening and you you already don't have access to just like the basics but then you have some idiot who expects sex like yeah women should be careful not to get pregnant and have too many children in this pandemic everyone was so angry other thing that um i remember during like the first phase of the lockdown especially when they were looking at, at tracing you know as uh, one way and um 
the one thing that kept on coming out was the issue of truck drivers that the driver crossed uh, Eastern Africa. But uh, especially like the people, like the truck drivers were getting like, of course, like more restrictive measures and what. But then the thing that I remember that stood out for me was the case of uh, the sex workers in Western Uganda. The ones who were rounded up, like 32 uh, sex workers were rounded up after a truck driver from Rwanda passed through uh, passed through the area and there was like someone in the community had of course um, informed the officials that the, the, truck, the truck driver why do we say truck driver anyway? We used to say lorry but <laughs> lorry driver or truck drivers the Americans have colonized our English but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and um like 32 women were actually rounded up can you imagine like sex like 32 sex workers rounded up of because one man had sex with one basically treating them like pictures of this business. yes and then you know the thing remember when we talked about uh syphilis and the snitches like just how uh instead of like the community <laughs> like, like the community approach to like being like a my neighbor's keeper but rather like i feel like covid because of the language around it like suspect and of course, they were already like the dynamics and criminalization of sex work. So you have people who are uh, being like excluded from communities based off of the fact that well, um, someone that someone's doing sex work. So then you they already like uh, stigmatized in the in the community. But can you imagine already like adding the label of like you you are moving uh, I don't know moving coronavirus on top of whatever it is that you're going through. Yeah, moving a victim. Exactly. Yeah. And then they try to scam bad blood. <laughs> They're not even willing to pay for labor that they use. Because I think basically the Ministry of Health reached out to um, Bad Luck at that time when they were trying to make it seem like um, lorry drivers and sex workers were the biggest victors of COVID, you know. Then that's when um, General Sachem was saying, oh, we appeal to our sisters. Of course, still yeah. using that very like language of trying to use euphemisms to talk about things that you're all very aware of, and then they hired Bad Black to release this message. <laughs> and then when she did that message, they refused to pay her. But anyway, we know how Bad Black handled them. <laughs> we cannot for that. <laughs> Looking, looking at all these reports that were, you know, like the, the the statistics and the data that keeps coming out, like for example, the that UN report that fifteen women die every day from like pregnancy or childbirth related, you know, like how is it even a thing that you know, like this these numbers that are reproduced because I remember coming through like uh, UNICEF, UN Women, and just like going through just to see like that what would what would be the impact of the pandemic and just seeing like these statistics that kept on popping up and popping up like or like year after year year after year but then you have officials who was who because i think that when un women is making these reports i think they are they are in collaboration with ministry of health so ideally they like these ministries have like at least like um an understanding of what is on ground but the but the fact that even when we have women at the forefront of of you know of this fight 
but that but that but the safety but still women have to like continuously worry about their safety just says something about like how gen- gendered institutions are and then who actually holds power you know like we have a, i remember like those meetings where you have like the minister of kampala you have like the health minister you have education minister and all these all these are women you know of like these densely populated places that could be at risk and you're like okay so and then people will throw criticism around like what are you saying but the person who is the head of the the whole task force is a woman what are you saying and you're like like you're like even that one is a woman as if that's supposed to going back to the 1970s feminist movement that was like advocating for like feminist politics in in like elective politics you know because i feel like for the longest time and this is a thing about again coming down to uh the affirmative action policy like how that how i don't know like when it was given like the spirit of the policy versus the implementation you know when like because the thing that annoys me outside even of this pandemic is that you have women who are powerful who are actually think that are powerful but they are running on uh, a women's ticket you get like with the power that kadaga has how can she still be running for woman mp like the whole idea of affirmative action is like you get in get out give room get in get out like as in like the policy is not even static like that I don't know like um some of those things around like power and again around all these layers that we have like to peel it's like I don't know I feel like this pandemic has been like one onion and with women we keep peeling off and peeling off just trying to see like the different ways in which we we are actually being impacted by this thing that and like the other thing was has been for me like the global similarities you know across um uh, across across class uh, <laughs> across class race you know like people who have been reporting uh, gender violence whether it is women in Mexico women in the US women on the continent like the the whole like the different experiences like the shared experiences that we have by virtue of the fact that 
you know, we identify as women. So I don't know, it's been, the pandemic has been one of those things where you're like, okay. Yeah, and everything is unfolding in such um, like a high pressure situation already because we are all already under so much stress, trying to make sure that we are safe, only leaving your house when you need to. And then all these things are happening, you know, so it's just, yeah, I've had, a, I've, I've seen a lot of people complaining about 2020, the year. Me, I think 2020 is just unlucky that COVID started now. Because <laughs> I think some of the things which are happening, honestly, like look at how this election is, is unfolding. We're not surprised, for example, that NRA people are killing each other, including the children of their friends in a bid to protect their political power, it's not surprising at all. But when you say they were killing each other in an election, in the middle of a pandemic, it just even becomes, wow. <laughs> yeah. We are excited to say that this season of Volera is made possible because of feminist money, specifically donated by the African Women's Development Fund and Frida, the Young Feminist Fund. We would appreciate more from the rest of you. <laughs> May feminist money really increase. Thank you for listening. You can find Bulira on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter. And as usual, all our notes and sources will be shared on our Medium page.